Well, thank you, and welcome home, and good morning. We've gathered as God's people on a beautiful day. I tell folks this afternoon, Father's Day begins, at least for me. Uh, but this is Father's Day. We've gathered. We're thankful for those fathers who've passed on the faith and for the Heavenly Father who's loved us all. Our call to worship this morning, I've taken a New Testament reading from Philippians and set it up responsibly. So let's begin to set our hearts, let our minds be like that of Christ Jesus. Uh, we'll read responsibly. I'll begin. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by his being, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hymn number 776, a mighty fortress is our God, a great expression of God's faith based on the Psalms that we'll sing together. Stand if you're able.
Amen and amen. Thank you. Have a seat. Again, it's a joy to welcome each of you, those who are able to gather with us on site as we gather on a beautiful day, but also for those who are able to let us here by way of live stream or recording join you wherever you are, whatever space, whatever time. Um, I understand our Honduras mission team uh, participated in celebration while y'all were down there. So it's amazing how by technology and the grace of God, we're able to share word and spirit uh, all together like that. A couple of quick announcements get us going for the day. This past week, the CRC General Senate met in Grand Rapids. Uh, overall, I was thankful and encouraged for the decisions and will be happy to talk more with anyone. I'm just going to kind of press on from there. And then this week, I get to go to the General Assembly that I'm a part of in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So uh, one group met on this side of the state, another denomination meets on the other side of the state. Michigan is quite the spot this summer, it seems like. But that time is a great time. Mary Lynn and I look forward to gathering with friends uh, and associates in ministry that we've had for, gosh, 30, 40 years. A couple of slides. Uh, let's jump right to those. One, today there's a bake sale fundraiser. That's all the goodies you saw going here. You can purchase things and the money goes to support our uh, study and learn mission trip to Ireland later in the year. We're also going to have coffee on the lawn afterwards. Marilyn was, got me a new shirt for Father's Day and she said, coffee on the lawn, not on the shirt. So I'm going to concentrate with that. And because of that, there will be no post-celebration follow-up. I'm glad to be available uh, to interact with folks and have coffee. A Wednesday night, you may not be needed to lead, but you can be uh, observer and participant with our gems and cadets. We're still doing some things this summer. You can bring like your classic tie-dye stuff and show them how it's really done, right? So a, a time with that. And then next, not next Sunday, but on July the 3rd, the 4th of July weekend, we're going to get all our services together and outdoors and see how that does. Uh, our way to connect, if you will text the word connect to this number, you'll get in response a simple form you can fill out with an email, a request for a call from me or prayer request, just whatever would be helpful. I want to be available with folks. Today is the intersection, the confluence, if you will, of three different holidays. It is Father's Day. And this Father's Day for me, I'm not only thankful for my father and what he meant in my life. I'm thankful for that. But it's also been a year that I've been aware of what it's meant to me to be a father and how thankful I am for being a dad and serving Nicole and Rachel and William and what it's meant. One aspect of discovering myself was always done in relationship. Relationship as a husband, relationship as a dad, relationship as a pastor, but most of all, relationship as a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king because of what Jesus did on the cross. So it's Father's Day, 
In the CRC, this is Indigenous People Sunday, and it's a time that I remember the opportunity I had as an adjunct professor, which is not quite a college professor, if you know anything about adjunct, but to teach on the Cherokee Reservation in Western North Carolina and get to know those students. And then a colleague in ministry over the years, Owen White Pigeon, uh, one of the Chippewa Band, ministering uh, years together in uh, Mount Pleasant. But my favorite of the three holidays is Juneteenth. Um, Juneteenth is a great story. The good news will not rest until everyone has heard. I could talk 30 minutes or you could read my blog. I put all of this up on a blog with some background and stuff. It means uh, so much because over the years I've had a chance not only to worship with African-American brothers and sisters in Christ, but I've gotten to learn much more about that culture by eating together. And Juneteenth is about so much, but it also always includes ribs. So big fan. These holidays become a great time to let my story and the story of other brothers and sisters in Christ come together and find their meaning in the great story of who Jesus is and what he's done. So happy holidays. There's so many here, we can hardly keep up with them. I enjoy them and make the best of it. It is the spirit of God indwelling in his people as individuals and as the church that brings us together, that holds the unbelievable variety together in a unity around Christ. So following Pentecost, we've been using question number 53 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, I'll ask and we'll respond together. Question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me, so that through true faith, He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits. He comforts me and will remain with me forever. Let's sing together. It's hymn number 833, There is a Redeemer, the good news of the gospel.
Good morning. Good to be worshiping with you here today. And I just have to add one more holiday. It's my beautiful four-year-old redheaded grandson. It's his birthday today. <laughs> so you think we're going to celebrate just a little bit. If you know Jackson, he's a wild one. Lots of fun. So I'm so honored to be able to share the prayer with you today and to read scripture in just a moment. So would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we ask that you bless us now as we continue in our morning of coming together as your children to worship and to glorify you. We begin with the words from Psalm 145, verses 3 through 9. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. Bless us, O oh Lord, with your love. And through that love, through your love, may we leave this place this morning as your light shining in a very fragile world. Bless us with your mercy that we too may learn through your example to be patient and caring, willing to share each other's joys and sorrows, to not only forgive but to be forgiven. And sometimes that's even forgiving ourselves. Bless us with your peace, that we may be calm and sure in all circumstances, trusting in you with confident hearts as we seek to live in harmony with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. Most of all, bless us with your presence, that within our hearts, you, Jesus Christ, will be our epicenter, our ever-present help in times of trouble, always embracing the promise that you walk daily, minute by minute, navigating this journey called life. We give you thanks as we find ourselves in a season of celebrations, as Pastor Bill just said, many rites of passage. We have weddings and anniversaries and many, many open houses. We give you thanks as families get a welcomed reprieve from the hustle and bustle of the school year. And as we slow down a bit, we pray for safety and a time to reconnect through the gentle pace of this season. Today, as we celebrate Father's Day, we embrace the words from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18, where it says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. We know that Jesus used the name Father more than any other, and it's the name he invites us to use as we address the creator of the universe, the one who has always been and always will be, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, present, and everywhere, invites us, you and I, to call him Daddy. We too pause to give thanks for our fathers, our grandfathers, our stepdads, foster dads, uncles, and those men in our lives who have come alongside us as father figures. 
as mentors, as guides, as caregivers. We also acknowledge, too, that this can be a very tender day. As some live in the midst of broken or fragile relationships, and others may have lost loved ones this past year. Amidst the cookouts and the gifts, help us to be sensitive to those who struggle with this today. Lord, this morning, we lay our family before you. So many facing challenges of situations, different situations and decisions. So many dealing with cancer, whether receiving treatments or under the compassionate care of hospice. Still others in our communities are anticipating surgery or recovering from it. And others who find themselves overwhelmed by the waves of grief. May they know that you are the anchor in the eye of the storm, no matter what. As we embrace Psalm 55 where it says, cast all of your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. We give thanks for the safe return of the Honduras team, for Jake's wise and humble leadership. Lord, once again, we see, we are in awe of how you have provided for the team, how you've challenged them, and most of all, sustained them with a non-wavering faith. Thank you for the numerous lives that continue to be deeply impacted by all that was and will continue to be accomplished in and through you. We pray for the 18 students and four leaders, Zach, Kelsey, Rebecca, and Greta, who left yesterday for a week of worship and service at Colorado Challenge. Also, we pray for the Chicago Roseland team, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, the eight students, and the two leaders of Mark and Michaela. We pray for safety and a good health throughout this week of ministry and adventure as the Holy Spirit cultivates the hearts of all involved. And Lord, there are so many others who need a special touch from you today. You know who they are. Help each of us to be alert and aware to those that you will put in our path today and every day. Pour wisdom into our hearts so that our actions and our words and our choices will not only be pleasing to you, but be a blessing to those among us. And now in confidence, we release these prayers into your hands and we join together in the prayer that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let us continue now as we prepare our hearts through the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 10. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, 
Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure, a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just, and he protects the ways of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and what is just, and fair every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, through your power, may your word inspire us this morning. Teach us your truth. Show us your wisdom. We pray for Pastor Bill as he brings us your message, as you guide him through the words that you want him to share, the words that you want us to hear. Clear away all that distracts, and there are many things that distract. Open our eyes, open our minds, as we seek to keep our focus on you. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I trust you will hear me say time and again this summer, uh, because it's a truth that I want to see built into every aspect of our life together, celebration, is that ministry is about God at work through his people. It's never centered on a particular person. And so I'm thankful for the chance to share ministry and share opportunity with you here this morning. We're preaching through the book of Proverbs, seeking the wisdom of God, and we began really remembering that wisdom is embodied in Jesus, and it's the ability to have a heart change that leads to a different life in this world, and so we're pursuing that wisdom. We talked last week a bit about foolishness. These services and sermons are available on the um, website so that you can hear Let me build these things kind of piece by piece. This morning, I've entitled this message out of chapter two, Pursue, but pursue what can only be received. I hope you get the kind of, shall we say, paradox in that. Pursue what can only be received. When it comes to becoming wise in life, able to sort through with discernment, confusing situations, to take steps that bear good fruit, one of the first things you've got to do in terms of practically becoming wise in life is to actively pursue wisdom. It's something I want. It's something I'll make a sacrifice for. It's something I'll invest time in. Finding wisdom begins with pursuit. It's interesting to me in verses 1 through 4, there are statements that include eight active verbs. That should get your attention. If someone in a conversation with you spoke briefly but involved eight active verbs, you would get the sense that they want you to do something. That's how parents help guide their children, right? I'd like you to get the trash, 
load it up from all around the house, and get it outside. Verb, action, verb, action. Even more, these verbs have what we would call a continuing force. Start this and keep doing it. Do this and keep up with it. When you look at chapter two, it's very clear that to pursue wisdom will take an active commitment on your part. It's kind of like training. If you want to run a 10K race, it's kind of like learning. If you want to have a language that you can use, it takes active commitment on your part. Listen to it. My son, if you accept my words and if you store up my commands, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, that's just the first four. Do these things and you'll see two ifs. If you do these things, then in verse five and nine, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You know, it'd be interesting. You could rightly deduce from these 10 verses that if I do these things, then, because that's the word it uses, I will begin to understand the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. You'd also deduce that if I do not do these things, then I may never begin to understand the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord. There's an opportunity and an option, but as you saw last week, you can make a choice, but you can't choose the consequence. This idea of an active verb, something for you, something for me to do with continuing force shapes the lips of Jesus. You'll remember he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Active verbs, ask and keep asking. But then what happens? It's given to you because you can only receive it. Seek, that is to say, start. Look under every stone. Do what it takes to pursue. And you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Someone else must make that step and open it. You see, becoming wise in life, you must actively pursue wisdom, but you can only receive wisdom. You can't create it. You can't pick and choose you can't figure it out on your own. Pursue it and you receive. Pursue it and only accept what you like and you'll never have it. Pursue it, receive, obey, it will bear fruit. See, one of the things we read in beginning in verse six, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom and his mouth out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom has its source, not in us, not in our ability to find, to identify, to fabricate, but in his ability to give to people who will actively seek. The Lord is the source. Because we live in a broken world and because that brokenness touches every aspect of our lives, I can't generate wisdom. A broken person cannot generate wisdom. I can seek, 
I'm told here where to seek, but from there I can only receive. Think about that. Wisdom isn't ours to determine, it's ours to receive, to be shaped by, and to obey. Wisdom is about receiving what God will give, because He does the giving. I'll be honest with you, I am old enough at this point to look back and to wish that God had given me particular wisdom earlier. I wish I understood now. I wish I understood then what I think God has shown to me now. Imagine if I could live as a 20-year-old in the wisdom that I have at this ripe age. It would be a little different. Wisdom is to be received. I can't determine when it comes, what shape it comes, what it calls me to do or to obey. I seek, and God in His grace, there's that word, it never functions apart from grace. God in His grace gives me wisdom and obedience. It shapes my life. So to become wise in life is a both and, not an either or question. We often think, do I do this or do I do that? Wisdom is both and, both you seeking and you receiving. It's not either you seek or you receive. We're drawn on both scores. It's what we would call a paradox. You see, if wisdom were a behavior to do or not to do, that's an either or. Did you or did you not? But because wisdom, at least in the Scripture, is the result of a relationship that leads to action appropriate to circumstances. I'll say that again. Wisdom in the Scripture is the result or the fruit of a relationship. You will not have wisdom apart from a relationship, is what the Scripture is teaching us. And that relationship leads to action, an action that's wise, that's appropriate to the circumstances. Now, you see the value of understanding that there's paradox all through life. A favorite book of mine from years ago, Built to Last by Jim Collins. It was very prevalent in business circles and very insightful. This professor looks at particular companies that have been able to last and be fruitful and innovative across generations of leadership. What was it that makes a company able to last? They identify several different factors. One of them is what they called the genius of the both. You'd summarize it this way. Inferior companies hold proclamations such as this. You can invest for the future, or you can do well in the short term. Statements like this, either you can have low cost or you can have high quality. This limits these companies to a frame of reference where there is only one choice, not both. Companies that flourish over time, this is apparently a principle baked into the universe by the Creator. Companies that flourish over time embrace both extremes in order to figure out a way to have both choices. Visionary companies find ways to do well in the short term and the long term. You need both, not one or the other. Rather than sacrifice the short term for the long term, they go for both. They don't look for a balance. What is it that makes us think that in every situation what we need is a balance? Sometimes we don't need balance, we need commitment. 
And sometimes we face a situation that doesn't need a balance and either or, but a both and. These companies don't look for a balance. Instead, they look to cultivate both values to the max. Tim Keller, uh, on his January 17 devotional, I want to highlight just again one of the resources. We always, as we're preaching through the scripture, we always try to point people towards a good resource that kind of you can take into your week. And, and this is it for this summer. Uh, Tim Keller's, and he wrote this with his wife, Kathy, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. It's a daily devotion. It will take a, a commitment of anywhere from three to five minutes. Take this day to day. Listen to what he says on uh, January 17 in the devotional. The paradox itself is wise. The fact that we must seek and that we can only receive. That paradox is wise. If it were all up to us in our seeking, we would labor under crushing anxiety, burn out, give up, fall to the wayside. But if God only worked apart from us, we would lose all sense of initiative. The paradox, the both and, gives us enough incentive and enough assurance to pursue the knowledge of God all our life long. When do you arrive at wisdom? It's on the other side of death when you meet him. Wisdom, the day-by-day -day active pursuit to lay hold of something that you can only receive as a gift. This is like Paul speaks of with salvation. Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You, continue, work it out, get to the end. Why? For it is God who works in you. You can only receive it. God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Friends, if we are to grow in wisdom, to bear the fruit, to be able to navigate life, to be God's people in a confusing time, we're going to have to actively pursue it, make a commitment, lay some other things aside, do what it takes so that we can receive what God is giving. Let me close with three particular ways to kind of actively pursue wisdom. And I offer these not as a checklist for your approval or disapproval. You are loved by God. I'm on God's side with that. You are deeply loved. There's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore today. At the cross, he's loved you more than you'd ever imagine. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less today. At the cross, he's overcome that lessness. Friends, be loved. So I don't offer this as a checklist for approval or disapproval. I offer this as a vision of encouragement of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. You'll have to seek it, but he'll give it. Listen to these three things. We see in verse one that it begins with time in the written word. My son, it says, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, if you accept my words. Now, read carefully through the Gospels, and you'll see that Jesus looked at every jot and tittle in the Old Testament as coming from the mouth of God, through the prophet, through Moses, through the writer. Jesus said not a jot or tittle will change. Store that up. 
let the Holy Spirit begin to illumine its meaning and apply it. Can we misapply it? Oh, yeah. But where do we go? We go to the written words of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, because I think the New Testament is in that same inspiration mode. My son, my daughter, if you accept my words, God says, and store up my commands with you, then you will understand. Friends, it's not your doctrine about inspiration. It's not a question of, is that orthodox? Do you hold correct beliefs about the Bible? What you want to ask yourself is, how much time am I spending in the Bible? Not distracted by other things, not focused on this or that and trying to add the Bible, but time where in front of the Word of God, you're asking the Good Shepherd to give you insight with regard to application and direction. Asking questions about what is being said, who it applies to, what it means, how would I live that out? Time interacting with the Scripture. This is Tim Keller on January 23rd, or maybe this is Kathy, one of them, but from the devotional. The Bible can guide you in all your words, even when there is not a specific verse for every life situation. That should catch your attention. We face situations that the writers of the Bible could never have imagined. Let me name one, internet pornography. It's never specifically named in the scripture. Does the wisdom of God have something to say to that? Of course. Even where there is not a specific verse for every life situation, as you immerse yourself in the Bible story of a personal God who made us and saved us for a relationship with him, it makes every part of life, how you spend money, how you relate to people, how you allocate your time, how you see yourself, it makes every part of life look different than if you didn't believe that story. Immerse yourself in God's word. Begin to tune your heart to its radio station. Some of you listen, and I came across this illustration through Mary Lynn a while back. Some of you have FM station shame playing all the time in your heart. It's like you're tuned into a radio station of condemnation and embarrassment. Tune in to gospel radio FM grace, the word of God playing, repeating, bearing fruit in your life. Second thing we need to do is get insight from outside. In verse 3, it reads, indeed, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding. I want you to be clear. I've touched this along the way in this sermon. Don't look to your heart for wisdom. Your heart is broken. Your heart is confused. I want to tell you, for a long time in my life, I was self-deceived about my self-deception. Do you see the challenge? The brokenness of my life, my ability to make life about me, my ability to hold an offense, my heart is broken. And this is not the place to look for wisdom. I've got to call out to the outside. That's why I look to the Word of God. That's why I want to look to not just anybody, be careful who you open your heart up to, but you want to find gospel-centered friends who can bring to you another perspective. Is there anyone in your life, ask this question, 
is there anyone in my life who would challenge me in my self-righteousness? You know, it can be, if I don't make it safe for people to challenge me about my sin, they're going to learn not to challenge me. Do you have anyone in your life, if you were living selfishly, they'd say, Bill, the reason you're so upset about that is because you really think the world is about you, and it's not. Usually what we do is clear those people out of our life. The scripture says, find someone who's grounded in the gospel, call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, let God speak, a turning point in my life. A, a trusted gospel-centered friend said, Bill, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it flies like a duck, consider it might be a duck. If your wife says it's self-righteousness, if your coworkers say it's self-righteousness, if your children say it's self-righteousness, I know it's not, but just hypothetically for once, consider. And it had to break down those self-defenses. The heart is not the place to go to find wisdom. Cry out to God. The Kellers write, the gospel is the greatest resource for creating teachability. It shows us that we are sinners, yet it's deep assurance of God's unconditional love for us in Christ makes it possible to face our flaws without denial. Friends, I want to suggest to you that there may be weakness and brokenness and confusion in the church when the world doesn't look at us and say, goodness, there's people who know about their flaws. The gospel sets us free to see that. It then calls us to self-reflection. If you look for it as for silver, it says in verse 4, and search for it as for a hidden treasure. Jesus said the, the gospel is like a pearl of great price or a treasure in a field that's hidden and suddenly found. It will take some digging. You'll have to be turning over the soil of your heart and your motivations. Self-reflection is not about finding your answer inside yourself again. That has to come from God, his wisdom. But self-reflection is about applying God's wisdom to my heart. It's about hearing God's voice and then obeying it, letting it take root in the place where our behaviors begin and eventually to bear fruit. What has happened to you recently that was significantly good or difficult? Again, from the Keller devotional. What has happened to you recently that was significantly good or difficult? Have you reflected on it with others to learn wisdom from it? Boy, that was a hard time. Boy, that's an amazing blessing. Do you have outside sensibility in where God is at work in this? So you see, to find wisdom, you're going to have to actively pursue it. And that means some sacrifice and deliberate focus. But you need to realize that what you're actively seeking, you can only receive. As we read through Proverbs and think of this principle in light of creation, fall, redemption, and then finally new creation, this reading with gospel eyes, we need to be reminded that the creation intention of God was that we as his creatures live in perfect relationship with him where his heart 
beats with our heart, where we live out of our knowledge and relationship with him, where he offers us that identity, make this planet flourish, and we live it out in his wisdom. That was the creation intent. But then because of the fall, that relationship is broken. And instead, my heart would turn to self-fulfillment. I want to use experience for my own self-advancement. Now, it's not only what to do that I need, but first, I need to struggle with who do I turn to or listen to or learn from. If I listen to the world, I'll have the wisdom of the world that reflects that brokenness. See, so often we use our wisdom, we accumulate degrees, people like me, we accumulate our degrees to pursue something in order to control it for our own benefit. Our wisdom and pursuit of it is broken, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is a redemption. Proverbs 2.1 begins with these words, my son. It's as if in this passage, the heavenly father speaks to the one true and perfect son. There is a true and perfect son who has sought wisdom, received it, and then perfectly lived it out, even in a broken world. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you and for all humanity, he's redeemed us to receive that wisdom and to begin to live it out. His half-brother James in James 1.5 writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to you. You need to seek and ask, but he desires that we receive it, and so he gives it. As we celebrate communion in a moment, some of us from Heart of Wyke are on the Appalachian Trail hiking. But it struck me in praying for them the other day how important this can be for those lives in light of what we're learning here today, the importance of actively pursuing God. This trip, and they just illustrate what all of us face in life, this trip in our life is not meant to be simply a long walk through God's creation for adventure and friendship. It's a deliberate change of context. They've changed their geography. They're away from the rhythms and demands of work and life. They changed their context in order to pursue an encounter with the living God who gives wisdom and life. This trip, and I know as Darwin was preparing because I saw him do this, he set out to be purposeful to get it fit into people's schedule, their physical conditioning, and their interest. But the trip is not simply a church-sponsored event. It's an event that becomes a setting for the pursuit of God. Do you see the difference? You can do something that changes your context, or you can do something with the goal of pursuing the living God himself. Their goal is to receive from the Lord what only he can give. That's why they're actively pursuing this hike. If this group comes home refreshed, exercised, and with lots of nice pictures, but nothing more, they will have missed the highest hope. Pictures are great, but actively pursue and then receive what God is giving and your life will never be the same. In the same way, Jesus says, come. You live that out if you're able by walking forward. If you're not, stay and receive, but you 
extend yourself to receive what only God can give. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love and for your kindness shown to us at the cross, that what we could never do for ourselves, you have done by your grace for your people. This day we come to you because you are the giver of good things. And you have told us, come, not in your own strength or achievement, but come in light of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so we come to receive this day what we could never produce ourselves. Thank you for your great love. Fill us this day as we come to the table. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. In a moment, I'll pray and we'll consecrate the elements. You will have opportunity. Those of you who uh, prefer, we have a one packet uh, with everything contained. You could have picked this up uh, coming in as well, but you may want to come forward, get that, and partake. Others of you will have a serving team on either side. You can take the bread and the cup. In this way, those of us who are able to come forward, come. We actively pursue, but we actively pursue something we can only receive. No one comes here because of what you've done or not done. We come here because Jesus gave his life and invited us. How do you say no to that? But we come on his terms, recognizing our brokenness and utter reliance on him. I want to recite together from... Heidelberg Catechism, question number 80. Uh, if we've got that, it's uh, the statement on the Lord's Supper for believers. So let us use these words together. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. It was on the night that he was betrayed, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. We, as best we can tell, it was the fourth cup of the Passover meal, the cup of redemption where the head of household would have told the story of a spotless lamb slain whose blood protected a family. And he said, this cup is now a new covenant made in my blood. Drink ye all of it in remembrance of me. Paul says in the same way, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, that sacrifice that brings life. And he encourages us whenever we eat or drink to not do it in an unworthy manner. That doesn't mean we haven't sinned. What it means is we recognize our sin. We're not blind to it. And we come as sinners to receive God's grace. So to come appropriately means to come recognizing we don't belong here, but we are invited because of Jesus.
and we receive what more than we could ever ask or imagine or show up for. Jesus would say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His rest is his gift to us. Our salvation is his work and our gift. Come and receive it. We invite families to come and have families uh, interpret that with uh, your own kids. Come as you are, come as you will. We are God's people. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have involved us actively. You've told us, come, receive, reflect on your need, ask, cry out. But we know in this moment we need more than we could ever develop or earn or merit. We come to receive. So in your grace, meet us this day. Take this, which is very simple, Through our earthly eyes, we see only bread and juice. But here, by the promise of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, meet us in the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day and for your great love. We come that we might receive in his mighty name. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I'm going to ask those who will be distributing the elements if you'd join me. And as they get here and get settled and then others come forward. Okay, very good. Um, We remind you of the the response. Okay, they'll get her. Come, people of God, receive what Jesus is giving. Come.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that from seeds, oaks grow. So I pray this day that as we've come to the table, that as we have, as we have received what you have given, that it might be a seed of your grace, that you'd bear the fruit of the Spirit within us, a kindness, a love, a joy, a self-control. That these things would be the work of your Spirit. Fill us with hope and guide us this day. Thank you that you've bound us together in your love. Strengthen us to know and receive all that you have day by day through the course of this week. For you indeed are the life for all of us. Help us to live in that life and to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 137, Christ the life of all the living. Let's stand as we're able. Before we receive the benediction, I'll just remind you we're going to linger for coffee on the lawn, time together. Receive now the benediction. It's a blessing taken from 2 Corinthians. Paul sent additional letters to the people he initially wrote to about communion. 
May the grace of Christ, which dwell daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.